Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Flora. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.fbcflora.org. I know I say this a lot to you, and sometimes when a preacher says things uh, over and over again, they, they kind of lose the impact of their meaning. But I, I truly want you to know what it means uh, to me and to each other when you enter into worship like you do um, each Sunday morning. Uh, this is a special group. Um, this 8 o'clock group is a special group, and I love worshiping the Lord with you. Thank you so much for the way that you sing. It encourages my heart, and, and I'm thankful for that. You know, before I jump into the message today, I, I just want to, again, speak to the choir special and speak to the issue of revival and our desperate need for revival. <clears throat> I jotted a couple of the lines down from that song while uh, the choir and Michael were singing uh, where it says, I see revival, why not here and why not now? Why not here? I mean, can anybody give a good reason why revival can't begin at First Baptist Church of Florida, Mississippi? Can anybody give a good reason why right now would not be a perfect time for revival to begin at First Baptist Church of Florida, Mississippi? I mean, is there any reason why? Well, the only reason that revival wouldn't come to First Baptist Church of Flora is that we don't do what the Word of God tells us to do, and that is to humble ourselves before the Lord. And that means to get rid of our pride, to get rid of our arrogance, to, to realize that He's God and we're not, and to humble ourselves before Him. Humility is not a sign of weakness at all. Jesus was very humble. Uh, but that that means that we recognize who God is and we recognize our place before Him and our desperate need for Him and that apart from Him, we really have nothing. We have no hope. We have no, we have no reason for living. We have no direction or purpose in life apart from the Lord Jesus. Everything in our lives, everything comes under that umbrella. The, the, our, our pursuit of making a living, that's important. And yet it comes under the lordship of Christ. Our, our desire to be good parents, our desire to be good grandparents, our desire to have strong families, that's a wonderful, uh, very noble thing to do. And yet it comes under the umbrella of the Lord Jesus Christ. The desire even to have a great church, and we do, and I praise God for that. But even that it can get become a, a sign of arrogance and pride if we're not careful. It all comes under the lordship of Christ, and we have to humble ourselves before the Lord and seek His face and seek his face alone, to seek him with all of our hearts. I love what Jeremiah said, what, what God said to Jeremiah, uh, where he said, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and to give you hope. And then he said, If you will seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. And we have to seek the Lord. We have to humble ourselves, seek the Lord Turn from our wicked ways. That means we've got to acknowledge that we got some wicked ways about us. Look, I ain't talking about those folks out there. I'm talking about the folks in this room right now. we got some wicked ways. You may try to compare yourself to somebody out there that you think is a whole lot worse than you, whoever that is in your mind, but the Word of God tells us that all have sinned. There is no one righteous, no, not one. We have to acknowledge that and turn from our wicked ways and pray and seek the Lord. And when we do that, He promises He'll hear from us. He'll hear us and He'll, He'll heal us. He'll forgive us. And He'll heal us. And He'll start right here, right now. 
in this place. And I want to encourage you with that. But I will also say that um, right in line with this sermon series, the enemy certainly does not want revival to come. He certainly does not want revival to happen in our hearts. He does not want these services next week to happen. He, he doesn't want these services that, with Chip Henderson, Jeff Clark, and Dean Register, and Jeff Parker. He, the enemy doesn't want these services to happen. He doesn't want the Daniel's Quartet to sing. He doesn't want us to come together in this place to worship the Lord and to seek His face collectively, corporately as the body of Christ. He doesn't want it to happen. And that's why this sermon series right now is so important for us as we think about revival, because spiritual warfare certainly, the enemy certainly pushes back against God's people pursuing revival, God's people pursuing the Lord, and that the Lord would send revival. Um, so um, I think this, I, I still, I, I believe, I, I, I try not to use the word think, but, but I, I'm, it's not opinion, it's a s- strong belief of mine that this this sermon series is, is exactly what the Lord wants us to hear, what He wants me to hear right now, and I, I, I hope that He wants you to hear it too. I believe He does, and so we press forward with this. Um, today we talk about the strategy we use. The definition for the word strategy, you, you know what a strategy is, but let me just give you the straight-out definition right out of the dictionary. The definition of strategy is a plan, method, or series of maneuvers for obtaining a specific goal or result. A plan, method, or series of maneuvers for obtaining a specific goal or result. You know, the Olympics have been going on here recently, and uh, those athletes that go over there and go to the Olympics, they've got a plan, they've got a goal. They want that gold medal hanging around their neck, and so... They have a strategy for that, and that strategy starts long before the actual race happens. That strategy starts way, way before that with the training and the the desire and the the training and all the things that they've got to do, the discipline it takes to stay with that. I read about uh, Kip Legat. uh, He's a world-class Olympic runner from the nation of Kenya, and, you know, Kenya produces a whole lot of incredible long-distance runners and he's really at the top of the top of the class when it comes to world class runners in the entire world. And Legat was asked about how Kenya could produce so many great runners. What is the strategy? What is Africa's strategy for producing such great runners? And he responded that Africa's strategy. Remember the definition: a plan, method, or series of maneuvers for obtaining a specific goal or result. If the goal or result is for Kenya to have a bunch of great world-class runners, the strategy, according to Legat, was this, was the road signs that they put up around the nation that say this, beware of lions. So that makes them run a lot better, run a lot faster. The road signs, the strategy is the road signs that say, beware of lions. And I think that would make us all run a little faster if you thought about that, but uh Strategy, the strategy we use, it's interesting that in military usage, and certainly as we talk about spiritual warfare, we kind of have the military mindset. It's interesting that there's a distinction made between the two words strategy and tactics. And I'm not going to belabor this too much, but just kind of help us really understand what this strategy thing is all about. Strategy is 
is utilizing, both during times of peace and times of war, utilizing all of a nation's forces um, through um, long-range, large-scale, long-range planning um, uh, to ensure security or victory. That means even when things, even when we're not fighting, even when we don't have a war going on, you're still working. You're still using all of your resources to get ready for the inevitable thing that's going to come and that there will be some type of fighting again. If, if you're not fighting right now, there's going to be some type of fighting at some point. And so you go ahead and continue your strategy using all of your resources to get ready for that inevitable conflict that's coming. Tactics. Tactics are those that use an actual troops and resources in actual combat. So the, the strategy is more long-range, more large-scale. Tactics are when the fighting's happening, and when, the, when the actual fighting is going on. And so you think about that, the strategy is in, you use the strategies when things are going great and when the battle is going on. And you think about our Christian lives. The truth of the matter is around this room right now, if I grabbed a microphone and walked around the room, hey, are things good in your life right now? Or are you struggling in your life right now? We would find both people in this room today. I mean, all of us would say, well, yeah, you know, I'm, I got this, but, you know, things are pretty good right now. Things are pretty good right now. Look, God's blessing me right now, and things are pretty good. It's interesting, you know, sometimes you go to a restaurant, and uh, maybe you do this as well. Sometimes you go to a restaurant, you're about to say your blessing in a restaurant, and you might ask the waiter or waitress, hey, can I pray for you? Uh, we're about to say our blessing here. We're about to bless our food and ask God, uh, thank God for our food. Can, is there anything we could pray for you? And, and so many times, uh, maybe it's because it kind of catches them off guard, but so many times they'll just go, oh, no, everything's good. <laughs> I don't need any prayer. It's like, you, no, you, don't, uh, you do need prayer. But, uh, you know, but we do that sometimes, don't we? No, everything's fine. Everything's good. But then some of us would have to say, if we're real honest, man, I'm in the middle of some serious warfare right now. So we have those times in our Christian lives where we have times of relative peace. Now, don't get me wrong. Listen, the, the, the war is still going on. The battles are still going on. We talked about that last week. The battles are still going on, but, is, but there are different times of in, intensity in those battles. We, those, those, the war will manifest itself in our life in different ways in different times. So it's still, but but at sometimes in our lives we have some times, and maybe that's where you are right now. Maybe th- maybe you're in a time of relative calm, relative peace. And I want to give you a, a little word of caution, a little word of warning. A lot of times when we find ourselves in those times, we sort of tend to let our guard down. That's when we kind of tend to say, well, you know, everything's pretty good right now, and so we may back off of our quiet times. We may back off of our our Bible study. We may back away from our intentional, fervent prayer life, and we just kind of let our guard down. We get a little apathetic. We get a little lethargic. We we just, you know, things are pretty good right now, and you know, it's it's kind of like after September the 11th. Uh, we're gonna think about September the 11th in September. We'll have a worship service uh, that'll honor. Uh, first responders and things like that. But you remember the the Sunday after September 11th, was this church packed out the Sunday after September? I know ours was in Monticello. I mean, we were packed with the rafters. We had a balcony. I mean, we we had tons and tons of people there for about two weeks. Whew. Oh, we made it. I, I don't, 
I don't need God quite as much now. We do that, don't we? In those times of intense warfare, we draw, and, that, and we should. We draw close. We draw close to the church. We draw close to God. We pray a lot. Man, oh, give, give me some Bible verses. Help me. Give, me. give me some stuff. And we should. But I'm telling you, in these times of peace, we've got to be careful that we don't get apathetic and we don't just kind of go start going through the motions and, and just let our guard down and, and, and become very, very vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. That's why this strategy continues even in times of relative peace. There's a great preacher from days gone by, J.C. Ryle, that said this. He said, the saddest thing about many so-called Christians is the utter absence of anything like conflict and fight in their Christianity. They eat, drink, dress, work, amuse themselves. They get money. They spend money. They go through a scanty round of formal religious services once or twice a week. But the great spiritual warfare... It's watchings and strugglings, it's agonies and anxieties, it's battles, it's contests. Of all of this, they appear to know nothing at all. And that's why we're doing this sermon series, because I don't want us to be like that. I don't want us to, 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 to appear to know nothing at all about this. And so we continue this sermon series. It's about to get real about spiritual warfare. We're in the third of, these, uh, of this sermon series, third sermon. The previous two have been that the enemy we face, we talked about the enemy that we're dealing with, and then we talked yet last week about the battle we fight, and today is the strategy we use. So I ask you to take your Bibles again and turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, I hope you got your Bible today, and uh, verses 10 through 20 is that wonderful passage of Scripture that talks about spiritual warfare and talks about the armor of God, and this is what we're focusing on over the course of these uh, sermons uh, in this series. So hopefully we're going to make it through the month of August as we look at this passage of Scripture. Stand please and let's read it one more time together. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might, but on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is the verse, verse 13, that we're going to focus on today. today. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. May God bless the reading of his perfect word this morning. Let's pray together. Father, thank you now for the work of your Holy Spirit to teach us, to reveal truth to us, and to help us to obey. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Listen, y'all, Satan... Satan has a strategy. Satan has a strategy, and you, you see it in Scripture in a lot of different places. I'm going to give you uh, about five of them right now. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these, so if you just want to jot these words down, uh, th this is part of Satan's strategy that he has in his 
his attacks against us, number one, his strategy is to disguise. He disguises himself. In fact, the Word of God very make, makes that very clear. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, I'm going to give you a, 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 verse, a couple of verses of Scripture uh, with each one of these as I go through. So the first strategy is disguise. He disguises himself, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. he disguises himself as an angel of light. He disguises himself as an angel of light, makes you look like everything's fine. Wouldn't you want to see an angel of light? Wouldn't that be wonderful, beautiful to see this angel of light? And yet he does that, and unbeknownst to us many times, uh, we are fooled, we're duped into believing that he's working for our good when he never is. He disguises himself. Number two, he deceives. He disguises. Secondly, he deceives he deceives. We know that. The Word of God makes it so clear to us. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, he is just simply called Satan the deceiver. Satan the deceiver. He deceives. When He's just going to do that. He's never going to tell the truth. He's always going to lie. He's a liar and the father of lies is what Jesus himself said about him. So he deceives. Number three, he disturbs. He disguises he deceives. Number three, he disturbs. He is all about just attacking and disturbing your life, my life, this church's life, anything that he can do to disturb the work of God going on in our lives. Classic example from the Old Testament is Job. You remember Satan showed up in, in the presence of God and asked for the opportunity to attack Job, and God said, go ahead, because Satan thought, I can get him. I can get him. I can disturb. what Job is this honorable man. He's this godly man. He's this man that loves God. But if you'll give me a chance, I'll show you. I can take him down. He didn't. But Satan looked to, to attack and disturb Job. You think about Peter, uh, Luke twenty two thirty one. 31. Uh, Satan came and he, he sifted Peter and the disciples. He sifted them like wheat. That literally means he disturbed them. Look for those ways that he could disturb them. And you know, you, you look at Peter. He, he did a pretty good job there in Peter's life for just a minute, for just a, for just a little while there when uh, Peter ended up denying Christ and, and the, the, the rooster crowed and, and Peter went into this deep pit of depression for a while and yet Jesus came back and restored him and, and used him greatly in the formation of the church. He hindered Paul, 1 first, first Thessalonians 2.18. Uh, Satan hindered Paul and and. So he's all about disturbing. He's looking for ways to disturb you and me and this church and God's people. The fourth thing is he destroys. Let's get a little more serious about this thing. He destroys. He doesn't just disturb. That disturb kind of sounds like, well, I can make it through that. He destroys. John 10.10, if we open up our lives to him, if we don't keep our armor on, if we don't keep our guard up, especially in these times of relatively uh, good times of peace and blessing and things like that, then he will come in and he will destroy. John 10.10 says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And finally, Satan wants to devour. There's another harsh word for you. He wants to devour you. Just, just eat you up. Uh, the Word of God tells us in 1 Peter 5.8 that, that Satan's like a roaring lion seeking whom he made it of ours. So Satan's got a strategy, y'all. He's got a strategy. He's got this plan, this overarching plan, and he's looking for ways to do that. You even think about the temptation of Jesus. 
In Matthew chapter 4, we see the temptation of Jesus, verses 1 through 11. I'm not going to read that whole passage, but you know that time that right after Jesus' baptism, that Jesus went into the wilderness. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and it says to be tempted by the devil. And the devil came to him and began to tempt him. And we see in this temptation, the temptation for three things that we're all tempted We're all tempted with the the lust of the flesh. Verses 3 and 4, the tempter came and said, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But Jesus answered, It's written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The lust of the flesh, that means this overwhelming desire uh, for those things that God forbids. So Satan tempted Jesus with the lust of the flesh. He tempted Jesus with the pride of life. Verses 5 through 7, when the devil took him to a high place and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and said, if you're the, uh, I'll take that back, I'm sorry. He took him to the, and said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And so it was this pride of life. Satan tempted him to, uh, to prove that he was the Messiah by, by this flamboyant display of power that that uh, that was not God's will. And then there was the lust of the eyes where Satan came and said, if you will look at all these kingdoms of the world, he said, I'll give these to you if you'll fall down and worship me. And that lust of the eyes is we see something that incites covetousness and jealousy and even sexual lust. So Satan's got a strategy. We need to know that. You go back to Ephesians chapter 6 again, verse 13. It says there, verse 13, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Make no mistake, that's the day that we're living in. We're living in the evil day. Just last Saturday, there were a group of Christians in Portland, Oregon. that gathered for an outdoor worship service. In the middle of their worship service, a group of Antifa thugs showed up. Just last Saturday. And showed up to their worship service and began to harass them, uh, assault them. I took their sound system, stole the sound system. Uh, From what I understand, maybe even threw the sound system, their speakers and things, into the river that was behind them there. And the police did nothing. The police did nothing. That's the day we're living in now. That's the day that we're living in. When we listen, and it's we're just the we're just seeing the results, the consequences of. Years and years and years and generations and generations of sin. This hadn't just, this just didn't happen and materialize overnight. It's been coming for a long time because in this nation we have compromised and we have legalized and we have legitimized every form of immorality that is found in the Bible. We celebrate evil. We celebrate evil in the public square. Delta State University. Some of y'all, any graduates of Delta State in here? We got anybody? Okay, all right, we've got a few folks. All right, Delta State University in my backyard, literally, literally in my backyard. Uh, the men's dorm, the campus starts one block away. I can look out my back door, my childhood home, and see the men's dorm one street over. And on that campus now, every year, On that campus now, in my hometown, literally in my backyard, Delta State University holds a drag queen parade every year now. 
and celebrated at Delta State University in my backyard. So I wrote the president. When I found out about it last year, I wrote the president and expressed my deep, deep concerns about how we're celebrating evil in the public square. And I got a typical uh, liberal response to my letter. But we're celebrating evil in the public square everywhere. People are physically and sexually assaulted in broad daylight on the streets of our cities in the United States of America. Oh, John, that's so far away. No, it's not. Never happened in Florida. Yes, it would. Right now, this moment, this moment, I'm talking about right now, missionaries on the other side of the world whose pictures were on this screen back in November, who we called Jack and Kate to try to keep them secure. Right now, today, they're getting kicked out of the country right now. They, they were informed of that this past week. The authorities tried to break into their apartment uh, just this past week. So they went to get their plane tickets. I just got a text from them this morning about 7 o'clock. They went to get their plane tickets. They thought everything was fine, got a confirmation number for their plane tickets, called a friend of theirs when they were about to go to fly out, called a friend so that maybe they could make a final contact with somebody before they had to fly back to the United States of America. They found out their tickets had been canceled. They called and asked about it, and they were told that the tickets were fake tickets. They tried to make a reservation again. They couldn't do it. They don't even know if the authorities are going to let them buy a plane ticket to get out of the country. Right now, right now, one of the missionaries is at the airline office in that nation hoping that he can get plane tickets for he and his wife to get out of the country. That's what's going on right now. That's spiritual warfare right now. Satan's got a strategy. Oh, I told him we would pray, so join me as we pray for him right now. Father, I pray right now in the name of the Lord Jesus for them. You know who they are. You know what their needs are. We ask you, God, to take care of them. Make it possible, Lord, for them to get the plane tickets and to be able to get back to the United States, Lord. Help, help them today, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in this evil day. And the spiritual warfare is intensifying. And God has given us a clear strategy for victory in these spiritual battles that we face. Number one, you got to be strong. You see verse 10 up there, back in verse 10, right at the beginning, be strong in yourself, right? Is that what, is that what verse 10 says? Be strong in yourself. Be strong in, in, in who? The Lord. Be strong in the Lord. That word means be strong in union with, closely uh, joined closely to. We must remember in this spiritual warfare that we are in Christ. Church, understand that. We are in Christ because this is one of the strongest weapons that we have against Satan. One of the strongest weapons that we have against Satan is to know that we are in Christ. Christ, because that one truth for you and me counteracts and goes against uh, every lie that Satan tries to say about us. In Christ means this, number one, we're not condemned, 
Romans 8 1 says, We're not condemned. If you're in Christ, you're not condemned. Satan will tell you you are, but you're in Christ, you're not condemned. So be strong in Christ. It's, uh, in Christ means that we are set free from sin and death. Satan will tell you, No, you're not. You can't ever get free from that sin. You are already free from that sin. If you're in Christ, know that. In Christ means that we are made righteous. We are right before God. You are right before God. Satan will tell you, no, you're not. Satan will try to lie to you and tell you, no, you're a sorry uh, person who has no standing before the Lord, and yet because you are in Christ, if you know Jesus, you are right before God. Being in Christ means that we are triumphant. We're not defeated. We're triumphant. 2 Corinthians 2.14 tells us that. 2 Corinthians 5.19 tells us that we are in Christ means that we are brought near to God, and our sins are not counted against us. You see how Satan will tell you that, that you're not? You're not near to God. Yes, you are. You're already brought near to God. Your sins are counted against you. No, they're not. If you're in Christ, they're not. Galatians 3.28 says that we are one because we are in Christ. We are one. We're in unity with every other Christ follower in the world. That's why we can pray right now for people on the other side of the world that are going through serious spiritual warfare because we're one with them. Satan will say, no, you're not. No, you're not. You don't even like those people. You don't, you don't believe like that. And, and yet we are one. We're not in this fight alone. Satan will try to isolate you. Tell you you're by yourself. But look around, church. Look at the people in this room. Though I'm not saying everybody in this room is saved, but those who are saved in this room are on your team. We're in this thing together. So be strong. And then because we are in, in Christ, that means we have God's peace. We have God's provision. Satan's going to try to do everything he can to disturb your peace. But we have the peace of God that passes all understanding. God will meet every need that we have when we're in Christ. So uh, one component of our strategy is to be strong in the Lord. Secondly, you see in verse 13, it says there, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Take up. So number one is be strong. Number two, take up. Put on the full armor of God. That word take up, put on, is a military term for the last thing that a soldier would do before he headed out for battle. Listen, the enemy was attacking. The fight has started. Things are about to get bad. Things are getting rough. The call comes. We need some help. We need some reinforcements. The soldier jumps up. He grabs his weapon. He puts on his armor, and he's out the door to go to the fight. That's you and me. That, that, that's, that's our strategy. Be strong in the Lord. Put that armor on. Put the armor on. It's like when we get a call with the fire department. The last thing that we do before we go into that house fire, just like we did last week, the last thing that we do is we put that armor on. We put our gear on. We put the face mask. We put the breathing tank on. We put everything on. We get all of our gear, and then we go in with a partner. We go in to fight the fight and to fight the fire. Put it on. Put that stuff on. Be strong in the Lord. Take up the armor of God. You be, and we're, Next Sunday, Lord willing, next Sunday, we're going to talk about each one of those pieces of the armor. So that's why you need to be here for all of these messages. They build on one another. So take up the armor of, of God. The next thing is you be strong, take up. The next one is this, withstand. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand. Withstand. That word means to resist, 
to oppose, to set oneself against. I like the way the New International Version says it. It says, stand your ground. Stand your ground. It's football season. We're all getting excited about football season. Tri-County's getting ready. They had a great jamboree this past week. All of our football teams, are. we're getting ready for college football season. All the, you know, the everything. We're getting ready to cheer for the Saints or whoever your pro team is or whatever. It's, it's that time of year. It's about to start. And there's going to be two groups of people that are going to take that field. One's going to be on offense and one's going to be on defense. The offensive guys are trying to move the ball, but the defensive guys are expected to stand strong against the opposing team. They're expected to stop the other team from advancing the ball and scoring. So we got to do that. We got to stand strong against the enemy to keep him from advancing. And if we will take up, y'all, if we will take up the whole armor of God, therefore take up the whole armor of God so that you will be able to stand strong. You will, we will. If we will take up the whole armor of God, then we can stop Satan's advance in our lives. we got to stop laying down and letting him run over us. We take up the armor of God. We take our stand. Spiritual warfare calls for spiritual weapons. We've been given those weapons. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us that we have weapons of righteousness in our right hand and our left hand. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 tells us that we have spiritual weapons, divine weapons to demolish strongholds, the weapon of the Word of God, the weapon of our faith, the weapon of our prayer life, the weapon of our testimony, the weapon of a life of love and a life of goodness. These are the weapons that the Lord has given to us to be able to withstand, to resist, to oppose, to stand our ground against the enemy. That's part of our strategy. Be strong, be strong, take up, withstand. And then the last one is this, stand firm. Stand firm. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil done, evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand firm. I like the way the message version says it says, when it's all over but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. You'll still be on your feet. It's a picture of a soldier standing in the middle of the battlefield. The smoke's clearing. There are people lying everywhere. The enemy's been defeated. He's beaten. He's not beaten down, but he's been beat up pretty seriously. Got some blood coming out of here and there. He's got mud and dirt and blood all over him, and but he's standing. He's standing. He knows he's going to have to fight again tomorrow, but for this day, he stands. I like a quote that I heard from a Marine who fought in Afghanistan. He said this, the Taliban can start the fight anytime they like, but we will finish it. That's us. We're going to finish the fight. Not because there's anything in us, in ourselves, that makes it possible for us to do that, but because we are in Christ. Walk back through it. Be strong in the Lord. Take up, put on the armor of God. Withstand, stand your ground with the armor of God on. And when everything else is done, when the smoke clears, if you and I have done those things, then we're going to be standing 
we will be victorious because Christ has been victorious. Amen? I told you last week that I want to end each sermon with some type of good news because, you know, this sermon series can get kind of overwhelming, get kind of heavy, and we think, man, the enemy's so strong and he's fighting us so hard. And I want to remind you that in the end, we win because Christ has won. So I want to remind you of that. Gave you a couple of verses of Scripture, one out of Romans last week, one out of Revelation the week before. I don't have a verse of Scripture to give you today, but i got a quote that I want to share with you to end this sermon from a book that I just finished reading by a guy named Judah Smith. And Judah said this, his father was a pastor, and he said this, My dad used to say, we serve a a great big God and we are opposed by a little bitty devil. (laughs) I like that. Judah Smith went on to say, let's not get that backwards. There is no doubt who will be the winner in the struggle between good and evil because Christ's death and resurrection already dealt Satan a fatal blow. The devil is nothing but a dog on a leash. He's a toothless lion. He is a magician hiding behind a curtain trying to manipulate us through smoke and mirrors. Just read the end of the Bible. We win. Until that day, we got to fight the fight. So we got to have a strategy, and God has given us that strategy. So let's put it into place in our lives, and let's live for the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, would you help us today, God, to hear from you, to respond in obedience with our lives, Lord, to do what you've called us to do, Lord, to, 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 to stand with you, to know that we are in you, Lord. And if there's somebody here today that does not know Christ, Lord, that they today would give their lives to Jesus so that they will be in Christ and they'll have what they need to be able to withstand and to stand firm and to take up the armor of God. Lord, it's only in Christ that we can have these things and that we can stand firm. Other than that, apart from that, Lord, we're totally, completely defeated and destroyed. So help us today to stand with you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.